0: Are you looking for truth from God's word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons. Listen now as Stan makes it clear.
1: You and I, when we were before we trusted Christ, we were a slave of sin, self, Satan, Satan, When we trusted Christ, he declared us free because of what he has done to free us to be able to do that. Now, we might hear that. We might even believe that. But are we making the choices that we are now freed as a freed slave? So that brings us back to we as Christians now. Our job is to, quote, set people free through them hearing the message of faith alone and Christ alone, whereby Christ sets them free. And now we as freed slaves can now choose to have a new master. And our master now is going to be Christ. And we choose to surrender to him because of all he's done for us. So I want you to keep that in mind when we talk about positional truth and practical truth. The truth is there. Now we have to act upon it. Now here are three words. I must know this truth. And that's why we're teaching this here today. And it's being recorded and hopefully broadcast to others so they could at least know this truth. Number two, we must believe it. Once you hear it, you might hear that, but you may not really believe that. And then finally, we must act on it. So let me bring it back to an earthly illustration here in Hawaii. Someone recently told me this, so it was was new news to me. I did not know it, therefore I didn't believe it, and I didn't act upon it. Here's what I've heard. In Hawaii, you know, when we as a pedestrian, we step up to the sidewalk and we're ready to cross the street, we're looking at a crosswalk signal in front of us. When we see that usually green figure man that's out there, we know that it's okay to walk. Now, it baffles me how many people see the sign and they walk. They never look at traffic and then they get banged, you know, and you wonder, why didn't you see that car? You should have looked too. But you see this in front of you. What I didn't know is that when you see it flip into red and you see numbers counting down from whatever it is, 15, 14, or how many seconds they're going to give you to get across... That doesn't say, okay, you can leave the sidewalk now, jump into the crosswalk, and get across there before it hits zero. It means once you see the numbers, you cannot leave the sidewalk here to get back into the crosswalk. That now only becomes a message for those who are already in the crosswalk, and that's how much time they have to get over to the other side. So once you see that first number go up there, when it flips from green to red... You can't step off that. Now, I thought it was like, ooh, I'm still like 50 feet away, but if I run, I see those numbers. It doesn't matter as long as I get to do this. I did not know I was breaking the law when I step over and get into that little uh, crosswalk from the sidewalk. Now, why am I telling you that story? First of all, some of you might hear this for the first time. So now you know this. Know it doesn't mean that you believe it. The second step is to say, okay, I heard that from the pastor. He doesn't lie. He must have done his homework. So that must be true. I'm where you are because the person who told me that, I have to believe what they said was true too. But now what I have to do is when I'm walking on the sidewalk in downtown or along some of our streets out here and I'm coming up and I see it green and I'm heading out and all of a sudden it flips to red and gives me numbers, if I'm still on the sidewalk, I have to act upon it by not stepping into the crosswalk and keep going. So again, what you're going to be hearing in the weeks ahead is you're going to hear some stuff you've never known before. You're going to know that. And I commend you on that. And some of you are going to have to process this and then it's going to come to a point of believing it. But then there are people that are going to really believe this but they kind of set it aside for later on or it's too hard, I don't know. know, And they keep on doing what they're going to keep on doing. And it's those people that I, I passionately want to plead with you. When you know it and you believe it, let it now change you. Because God doesn't put these things in front of us To confine us or to keep us from joy. He brings these things into our lives. So we can have the fullness of joy. Watch this. And we can exalt the Lord. Bring that joy right back up to him. So this message isn't just a dusty old doctrinal message. The ultimate goal is so that you can bring glory to the Lord. Joy to the Lord. From the joy that you have. From a life who's chosen. To know this. To believe it. And to act upon it. Now again... Those might be my simple words for us, but there are three biblical words that are found in our context. So again, let's look at those three words, some key words. The first one, obviously, would be know. If you will look at your Bible very quickly, at verse 3, you're going to see the phrase, know that. Verse 6, you're going to see the phrase, knowing this. Verse 9, you're going to see the phrase, knowing that. So know that, knowing this, knowing that. So the word know, again, that's the mind part. I want to appeal to your mind. I want you to think with me on this. All right. The second is the word consider. The word consider. That's found in verse 11. Often that could be re- uh, defined as reckon, count, believe, but it's more than no. It's a choice to with your heart to fully engage it, fully believe this. So it's now a choice you make. Knowledge is something you don't have a choice other than maybe to put yourself underneath the kind of teaching you're getting. That might be a choice, but in reality, we're getting the information. But now the choices, that becomes more volitional, where we're now considering, we're counting this, we're making decisions based on this. The third word is the word present. You'll find that a couple other times in Scripture, and the word present is a very good word. In verse 13, it's found twice. In verse 16, it's found once. The word present is the word offer. It's the idea of offering to the Lord I'm going to present to the Lord I offer to him and I hope that we would do that that when we present we're doing an offering now when you hear the word offer and you read the word offer in some translations I, I would like to maybe make this even more clear have you ever been to maybe a fancy schmancy party and they've got some wonderful people that are coming around and they have a tray of goodies on it and they say would you like one would you like one would you like one? Would you like one? Okay. That's kind of like I'm, I'm, they're offering it to us. Okay. This isn't the word offer like that. This is the word where that they're actually presenting it. Think in the terms, of, think, think, use the term offering. When we do an offering, we give it to the Lord. We don't take it back. And an Old Testament offering, when it was given to the Lord, it was consumed with fire. Okay. So it was burned up. And so the idea is when I present myself to him, I am presenting a once and for all, I shouldn't take it back kind of an experience. So it's not like, okay, I'm offering the Lord, if you want to take it, you know, that's okay, I'll go on my own life. It's not like that with the Lord, okay? So as we go through that, you'll understand those terms. So I hope that you'll be back and you'll continue in our series because I don't want to have to reteach all of this, but you have to see them all come together. And if you miss something, don't worry about it. Brian and the gang will get it up on the website within 48 hours and you can hear it there as well. So with that as the background material, let's talk about the three great details of the Christian life. And when I say three great, I need to tell you three great that I'm extrapolating from this passage of Scripture, but I think it might help us to understand it. So let me give you the two verses, and then we'll give you one, two, three of these three three great truths, these three great details, facts that we need to know so we can begin doing the considering and the presenting part a little bit later on. Back to Romans chapter 6. And now let's look at verse 1 and 2. Romans chapter 6, verse 1 and 2. There's kind of a little bit of background to set us up. Paul now begins in verse 6 by saying, What shall we say then? Well, what shall we say then? What is that? How did he start a chapter at what shall we say then? I don't write a letter to someone and all of a sudden begin with, Well, what shall I say then? No, they, they'd say, Well, what are you talking about? So if you take that what shall we say then and you run it through the grid of chapters 1 through 5, The primary emphasis he's making here is found in verse 20. So look at verse 20 of chapter 5. What are we saying then? Verse 20 says, Law in the Greek, but in your translation might say the law, came in so that the transgression would increase. In other words, when there's law, now I can see how bad I am, so now I'm really bad, so my transgressions really increase because it's now defined for me, and the law was really huge, and so there's a lot of stuff I've done wrong, so my sin really increased. There was sin before the law, but it really kind of turned up the volume when the law hit. Now go on, it says, but where sin increased, ooh, that's right, because law was there, sin increased because there's transgressions there, look what happens, grace abounded all the more. Now, look up here. If you're out there and you're trying to um, get away with murder, rhetorically speaking, but not much, and you hear, boy, I am really bad, but (gasps) wow, wow, God gives me this get-out-of-jail-free card in his heavenly Monopoly set. And so he's now giving this to me, which means I can get more get-out-of-free cards the more sin I do. So the more sin I do, the more cards I get. So that must mean that I can go out and do whatever I want. In fact, I really want to get as much grace all the more by what I do. Now, that's what he's saying here. What he's really doing is answering an objection from his audience, his listeners, his readers in this case, that's saying, you know what, Paul? We just heard that In Romans 4, it's not by the works of the law. It's not by any good deeds that we do. It's just by faith in Him and by putting my faith in Him. No matter how bad I am, I get all the grace that I need. That must mean I can trust in Christ and go out and do whatever I want to do. It's okay. In fact, I really want to do anything wrong because I get more grace. Now, I'm telling you that because Paul is now going to just slam that thought and shatter it to the ground. And the reason I'm bringing this to you so emphatically is this reason. You hear a lot in our ministry here, the emphasis on faith alone and Christ alone. I mean, you're sick of hearing that. I know you are. But I imagine if you were to ever be operated on and you had to count backwards, you'd be saying to the doctor, faith alone and Christ alone, and you'd go out because you just own it. But also there's a danger because I preach what Scripture uses the phrase is free grace so often. People could accuse me and us, those that believe that, and they're, we're not a cult, it's been ever, ever since the Reformation. That we believe in easy believism. All you do is believe and there's nothing else. And you can go out and do... And that's the furthest from the truth. In fact, for those of you that want a little bit more, that thought is called antinomianism. Anti means against. Nomos means law. It's like we preach against the law. Hey, that law is... Hey, don't worry about the law. No, be... Hey, woo, grace. In reality... We know the law is incredibly important. I've already taught you that. It lets us know, not only that we're a sinner, watch this, it lets us know how bad we are as a sinner. At the same time, it points us to Christ. And subliminally in all of that is this, is that there's nothing I can do with this law to ever get me righteous. That's why it points me as a teacher to Christ. And now that I got all that going, in a sense, it brings me to a point of desperation where I'm now going to trust Christ as my Savior. And if I didn't have the law, that wouldn't do that. If I was against the law and I saw no value in the law, it wouldn't bring me there. So there is value in the law. However, Satan, the dirty bird, he's on this side of this saying, oh, see that law over there? You've got to keep the law to be saved. Once you trust Christ as Savior, he then says, I don't worry about the law, the commandments, anything that God tells you to do. Just go out and live as you please. Why? Because you're under grace. And by the way, if you do mess up, that's okay. You get more grace. So keep messing up, you get more grace. See See how Satan is such, he warps us. And that's not what we're teaching here. So what does he say in response to, what shall we say then, after I just taught you all of this? He says, are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? And now verse two and underline it. May it never be. Say it with me out loud. May it never be. Now, if you want a more contemporary version, it'd be saying this. No way, Jose. No, 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 no. Shut the door, you know. That's what he's really trying to say. In fact, those of you that are following in the Greek New Testament, this is probably the most emphatic way that you can say, may it never be, no. And now he asks a question. How shall we who died to sin... Still live in it in in what sin now, if you will, look up here for a second, especially for those of you that weren 't with us for chapters one through five the the, the the challenge that expositors have is that we only have a captured audi- uh, 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 an, uh, an audience for about forty five to fifty minutes, and sometimes I, I stretch it, but there 's no way we can teach all that background material and keep going, so what he 's doing now is he 's referring to something that these Romans Christians already knew when he says, how shall we who died to sin live any longer therein? He's basically saying, don't you folks know that when you trusted Christ at that very moment that you died to sin in its penalty fashion? You died to the power of sin in your life. That's what he's saying right here. So if that's the case, why do you want to keep sinning? This is no use to you. There's no value in that any longer. And so he's saying, it's kaput's. Now we're in verse 3. And verse 3 through verse 5 gives us what I would like to call how to know our positional truths. What do I need to know about my positional truth? There's three in here. When I became a believer, I was placed in Christ. Now that's what your note says, but I want to make it a little bit more clear. You are placed into Christ. Not just in Christ, but into Christ. Verse 3 says this. Or do you not know that? Remember, you've got to know something before you believe it. So he's already saying, don't you know this? Don't you know this, implying, I've already kind of explained this to you. Don't you know that all of us who have been baptized, and then underline the word, into Christ Jesus, have been baptized into his death? Verse 4. Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead, resurrection, through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. And then finally, verse 5. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Now, let me talk about baptism, particularly about water baptism to start with. Uh, we're international Baptist church, and so some Baptist preachers like to spend a great deal of time talking about what we call Baptist distinctives. And I have not taught you Baptist distinctives. It's not because I don't understand them or know them or whatever or see value in them. I've chosen with the little time that I have as, as your pastor to um, just teach the Bible. And where it's Baptist distinctive, well, so be it. If where it's not, well, then they got it wrong. I'd rather have you know what the Bible has to say. Sometimes, because we're international Baptist church, everything we see when the word baptize or baptize we automatically throw water in it because Baptists are mostly known for a particular mode of dunking people called baptism. And so we mostly will try to take every scripture that has the word baptism in it and throw water at it. Excuse the pun. All right? We'll try to do that. So the question is, Stan, what what does this really say? In a general symbolic sense... I do believe you can extrapolate baptism by water out of this context of Scripture, and I'll show you how. On the other hand, if you want the most accurate interpretation of this passage, our water baptism really had nothing to do with us being justified at all. So baptism is not really the main topic of this teaching here. We can go back to it because there's some illustrations, it's symbolic, but it doesn't make it the real McCoy. Let me see if I can show you this illustration. I'm wearing a ring, and it's called a wedding ring, okay? When I walk in public, most people would look at that, and I wonder if Stan's married. What do you think they're going to do to find out if I'm married? Well, most of the time, they should look at my face. If I'm smiling, that must mean I'm married, right? But actually, they're going to look at my ring finger, and they're going to see that ring on it, because it's symbolic that I have been married. There have been two or three times that my ring cracked in half and I've lost it. There have been times that I, I broke my finger before we went to China. It was so swollen I couldn't wear a ring in China. So you could look at me and without seeing that ring you wouldn't know that I was married or not. But remember, having the ring or not having the ring did not make me married or unmarried. You got that? All right. So I have the ring to indicate that. So when we talk about baptism a little bit in this passage with a little bit of time I have left with this, I want you to know That baptism, water baptism, does not save us. It is a good illustration of what's happening. So let me talk a little bit about baptism and then I'll unpack what it means in this passage because I believe the primary baptism in order for this to occur in our life is what we call spirit baptism. Not baptism by water, but baptism by the spirit. I'll explain that in a moment. Let's go back to water baptism. In the passage whenever you read anywhere in scripture and you, in the New Testament when you see the word baptism it comes from a very unusual word it's the word baptizo some of you are looking at it now baptizo you say well baptism from baptizo why, why, why isn't it a different kind of a blah, 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 Greek word why is it baptizo that's so close to baptism that is called transliteration they don't really translate what the Greek word is so they, what they did is they turned that word <clears throat> excuse me into a transliterated word to make it mean what they wanted to make. The actual word baptism or baptize is the word plunge, whelm, or immerse. That, That is key to understanding this passage. Not the water part, but the immersion part. Okay, let's go back to water. How did this happen? Well, in the study that I've done, here's what I've come up with. That back in the early days when the Bible was being translated into English, particularly the King James period, the most predominant religion of the land was Roman Catholicism, where they mostly sprinkled. They didn't do by immersion. When the translators were going through this, they came up with the word, ooh, that means immersion. So they went to the King James entourage and said, if we say immersion, this is going to bring out so much flack from the community. What are we going to do? And the good king is he would like to be thought of he decided, well, we're not going to really translate it, what it means. What we're going to do is transliterate it. So we're going to turn a word into an English word, but not actually give what the real word means, immersion, plunge, or well. So that's how the word baptizo, which means well plunge, it, changed into the word baptism. Number two. When you um, see baptism, the question is, is what mode of baptism you have the word sprinkle, you have the word pour, and you have the word plunge, immerse, like we said. The word baptize is used at another time in Scripture when they washed pots and pans. They baptized pots and pans. How many of you have pots and pans and plates being baptized in your sink as you're here? They're still in the water, all right? They haven't resurrected yet. Anyway, that's, that's another story. So what you need to know that there is no um, illustration of sprinkling. There is no illustration of scripture of pouring. The word itself means to immerse. And if you do run it through other scripture, you will find when Jesus himself was baptized, he had to go from a long distance to a place where there was much water. Quoting scripture, there was much water there. It said he went down into the water. Now, if you want to, you can wiggle that a little bit. He went down knee deep and they poured it. I, you know, that's really stretching it out there. But there was plenty of water that they did. So that, and the word itself means to immerse. So now, when we talk about water again, we're going to talk about that. But in this context, remember spirit is the main thought. Let's go back now to water for just a moment. You'll hear in the weeks to come the phrase identification principle. The word identific- or the term identification principle is a hermeneutics that will show you that when something is taught that it's identified with something else. And in this context the identification principle is what Jesus went through we went through that with him When we trusted Christ, remember, this is to believers. And so now it's the identification principle. So when it says, when Jesus died, we died with him. We identified with his death. When he was buried, I didn't didn't go in any tomb, but I identified with his death because I was, in a sense, with him. Identification with him. When he rose again, of course, to the heavenly resurrection life, although in this context, I think it's the earthly resurrection life. Going back to that is, I identify with Christ. Now, remember a moment ago I said to look at the word, we were baptized into Christ. I believe now we're talking about Christ and we're baptized, we are immersed in him when we trust Christ as Savior. Many of you have been here long enough that have seen me do this illustration and I'll do it again in case you haven't. We're going to let my Bible represent Jesus Christ and we're going to let this piece of paper here represent me, you, me, Okay? If I stood before the Lord with um, my righteousness, I'd be pretty dirty. And since it's me, I'm going to put some more dirt on it. Okay? If I died and I stood before him like this, I'd be separated from him for all eternity. I wouldn't even get before him, actually. Now, let's say I think I have to be good. So I clean myself off. I try to live a good life. (laughs) I look a little better, but when I stand before him, it's not so much that God sees my sin. What he sees me he sees my righteousness, which Isaiah says is a filthy rag. Now watch very carefully. When, my pl- when I place my faith in Christ, write this in your margin, Revelation, excuse me, Philippians 3.9. When I place my faith in Christ, I then am now in Christ because I have been placed Into Christ, when I trusted Christ as my Savior, in a sense, I have been immersed in Christ. So it's when Jesus died, I died with Him. When He rose again, I rose with Him because I have been baptized into Him. And watch this, watch this. And water had nothing really to do with it. Water is kind of like something I can see, it's something that I can visualize, it's more of a symbol. But don't make the symbol the fact. It's nothing more than just a symbol. The fact is, by my faith alone in him, I am now in him. Another reference is Ephesians that says that I've been accepted in the beloved one. For those of you that want to do more, look at the phrase, in Christ or in him, and count how many times, just in the writings of Paul, that phrase is found, indicating that I place my faith in Christ, I am now in Christ, I've been baptized into Christ, And so when I look in water, water does nothing more than it shows me that I am immersed in the water with Christ, okay, and I come out of the water with Christ, but water isn't the key thought here. It's into Christ, watch this, the person and the work of Jesus Christ, of what he's done for me on the cross.